If you have your Bibles, I want to be inviting you to pull those out and be opening to Romans uh, chapter 1 as we continue our series going through the book of Romans. Um, I, in all the years that I've, I've been preaching here at Homewood, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think that I've ever showed you a picture of my mother. So on the screen, uh, you'll see a picture of me and my mother uh, several years ago. Uh, she is um, maybe five foot one, all right, maybe on a, uh, you know, with some, uh, you know, with some high heels or something, although she never wore high heels, but, uh, but she's maybe five foot one. Uh, she was a school teacher for 40 years. Uh, she loved uh, my brother, I have an older brother, and my younger sister and I. She loved us well. Uh, she uh, made sure that we never went without. Uh, the summer before my freshman year of college, uh, mom got a job at Castor Knots. Anybody remember Castor Knot? Yeah, uh, she got a, it's a retail store. She got a job at Castor Knot during the summer, uh, folding shirts, restocking stuff. And, and I mean, what teacher is going to get a job during the summer? The summer in order to make money that that teacher will never get to spend because she is passing it on uh, to somebody else. Um, the love of mom uh, was something pretty special. And yet, the wrath of mom <laughs> was something that us kids experienced. You did not want to cross mom because she literally, as a teacher growing up in the 80s and 90s, she had a paddle that had a cross shape on the end of it. True story. Now theologically, I think that's a little distorted, but this is what she had. You did not want to cross mom. And so one day. My older brother and I were mouthing off. I know that none of y'all ever mouthed off, but me and my brother were mouthing off. And mom said, meet me in the living room. And we knew what that meant. What that meant was she was going to get her device, and that's not a smartphone. She was going to get her device, her weapon of choice and meet us in the living room and let us know uh, why we should not mouth off again. And so uh, my brother, the, the, the eldest, three years older than me, he would always have to go first. That was kind of the, the rule, the, the, the order of the land, that he would have to go first. And he thought it would be, I've told this story before, so if you've heard it before, uh, you know, just, just indulge me for a moment. Uh, but. But he thought it would be cute to put a hardback book in his pants before he received his due punishment. However, mom did not find that very funny. And this five foot one inch woman unleashed her wrath on my brother that day. He received three extra treats that day, <laughs> three extra licks. 
And I wasn't born yesterday, uh, so I'm sitting over there across the other side of the living room, and I very nonchalantly pull the book out of my pants <laughs> before I encounter the wrath of mom. Infinitely greater than the wrath of mom is the subject that is before us today. The Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans will call it the wrath of God. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 18, read along with me. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men, received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The Word of God for the people of God. We pray with me. Father, you know my heart this morning. You know that apart from you, I can do nothing. And so I pray that you will send forth your spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Kindle them in the fire of your love. So Jesus, I pray, amen. Now, for uh, many of you, uh, the first question is typically, okay, 
where's the preacher going to go from here? Well, what's this, what's this sermon uh, going to be about? Because if we're honest, uh, this is a, it's a difficult text. But it may not be difficult for the ways that you think it's difficult. Yes, there are some hard things that are said in this text. That's true. Yet it's, it's difficult if we don't keep the text in context. And if we don't keep the text in context, then we have no chance of understanding what Paul is saying in this short section of Scripture. But even if we keep it in context, it can be difficult. So as a society, we don't really do the, the whole handwritten letters thing anymore. Uh, my kids get really excited when they get a handwritten letter in the mail uh, because it's uncommon. They don't see that. I mean, when you can text somebody or you can call somebody or you can FaceTime somebody, uh, you know, why would you take the time to, to write out a, a handwritten letter, some people may ask. But a handwritten letter is something that was very common in Paul's day. This is how communication happened. This is how communication got out. And often a letter such as the letter to the Romans was read out loud to the recipients in full. And it's one of the reasons that I've been encouraging you as we've been in this series now for a few weeks doing some background work and doing some contextual work and, and getting on into to now chapter one. It's, it's the reason I've been encouraging you to read the whole letter uh, to the Romans. Because which one of us, just being honest, which one of us would receive a letter from someone that we care about, someone that we love? knowing that this is the only piece of communication we're going to get. They're not going to call. They're, they're, they're not going to FaceTime with you. Uh, they're, they're not going to have any other way to keep—they're not going to email you. This is, this is all you have. And which one of us would take that letter and say, you know what, mm, I'm going to read the first paragraph this week. And then next week, I'm going to read the second paragraph. And then the week after that, I'm going to read the next paragraph. None of us would do that. We would take the, the time, the energy, the investment to read in full the letter. Now I'm, I'm, I'm harping on that a little bit because it's so critical. Because when our Bibles were written, when they were being formed by, I believe, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there was not chapters and verse numbers and all these little segmented things that we have, have, have made to, to complicate the text. It was a letter. It was a full letter. And so the challenge sometimes with expository preaching, which is what we're doing, we're taking a section, we're exposing it, we're expounding upon it. The challenge with expository preaching is that you have to keep the whole in mind when you are expositing the section. And so we have to keep the whole in mind when we are going through a particular section, or, if, or else we get off the rails pretty quickly. We also come to this letter with humility. We said a few weeks ago uh, that there are, are four primary movements uh, that, that Paul is unpacking in this letter. 
Uh, I really like how scholar N.T. Wright just talks about this symphony. And we see this, these four movements in this symphony. And this first movement that we're caught up in, chapters one through four, uh, is, a, is a collection, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movement of its own. And so if, if, we, if we just get narrowed down into one section, then we, we lose uh, the context of what Paul, I believe, is, is trying to say. So we don't have time today to exposit all four chapters. But if we cut off Paul's words, we may run the risk of distorting his main point. So what's the context? Um, we're going to keep that question in our minds as we travel through the text. The, the second question that I want us to consider today is, what is the wrath of God? You've heard it said from this, the stage uh, multiple times already. Uh, Anders Kirk, who, who read uh, our scripture this morning. Pete Blank, who shared our communion thoughts this morning. I've read it again. You, you've heard this word, the wrath of God. Uh, what, what is it? Why, why is it required? And how is it revealed? Uh, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed, Paul says, from heaven. But what is it? What, what is the wrath of God? There's a couple words in the Greek for this word wrath. First one you'll, you'll see on the screen. So uh, this is the word thumos in Greek where we get the word uh, thermometer or thermos. Uh, this is one of the words for wrath. It means literally a red hot anger. And most of our experience with wrath is selfish anger. It is the parent who flies off the handle because their child spills a drink. Guilty. Guilty. It's a selfish anger. Why? Because now my, my floor and my, my table are all messed up, and I'm probably going to have to be the one that cleans it up. And so it's a, it's a selfish anger. Even more tragically, it's the person who abuses alcohol and then allows uncontrolled anger to harm those around them. It's the road rage that we see and hear about all over our city on a routine basis. Uh, some of us have been the recipients of selfish anger, this type of wrath. Some of us have been the perpetrators of this type of wrath. And so when we, we hear the word wrath, we automatically think, well, God's wrath must be like that. And yet, as we look at the word for wrath in this passage, this is not the word that Paul uses. He does not use the word Thumos. Instead, he uses the word orge. You'll see that on the screen as well. It literally means to swell, to grow ripe. It is a settled indignation. 
It builds up over time. It is controlled. This is the word that Paul uses to describe the wrath of God. God is not a God who flies off the handle like I do sometimes. The word says that God is slow to anger. And James would even tell us that we should be like that, that we should be quick to listen, but slow to what? Slow to anger. And so the word that Paul uses here means this, and what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 1 is God's firm, settled, perfect hostility against evil, and in particular against human sin. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. Just like an artist would reveal themselves in a piece of art or a design, the Creator reveals Himself in His creation. Because we had to leave early this morning, Laney and I got to, to see the sunrise on our way from Rome, Georgia, back to Birmingham. And it was a, a beautiful picture. It was this reminder of who God is. William Herschel, the astronomer who discovered one of the planets, also discovered infrared radiation, said that the undevout astronomer must be mad. The undevout to God astronomer must be mad. In other words, when you see the art hanging in the sky, one has to deduce that, that there is an artist. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made. This artistry, God has made it plain, how His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. And what we see is that creation is actually God's first mission. And you could actually preach a whole sermon on just verses 19 and 20. And maybe we can come back and do that sometime. But yet Paul moves to the reality that when we abandon and we dismiss this God in plain view, someone or something happily moves in and becomes our God. Verse 22, although they claim to be wise, they, or like how Pete Blank said it, we became fools. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. And as we're keeping this letter being read in context, we, we're reminded 
that, that as, as the hearers would have heard this, when Paul starts talking about sexual impurity, the, the Jewish hearers of the day would have no doubt been thinking, that's right, you tell those dirty Gentiles about their sin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, I mentioned about what my mom did before that year, but when I actually got there to Middle Tennessee State University, MTSU, up in the Middle Tennessee area, I realized very quickly that there was a few classes that were going to require me to, to state my position on some things. And this is what colleges tend to do. They, you come, some of our college students are sitting over here, you come and you've got, you think you've got things figured out. And so, you know, then they kind of put, put you to the test and there's, there's going to be, you're going to have to take positions on things, but you're going to have to not just take a position, you're going to have to explain, you know, why you, you take that position. And so I distinctly remember two classes where I had to, to state a position. And the only thing that I knew at that time was what I was separated from. Uh, last week we talked about the difference between being separated from something and then what Paul describes in Romans 1.1, being separated to something. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so what I had learned to be separated from, among other things, was that I had learned to be separated from the LGBTQ community. And so as a communications major, I found myself in a speech class having to give an argumentative speech of why I thought homosexuality was wrong. And Romans 1 was one of my proof texts. It was one of the texts that, that I used. Uh, about a week later, I was assigned to give a presentation in another class where we had to argue a position. And the only difference this time was that we had to argue that position with a partner. So it was no longer just, just me up in front of the class giving my, my, my thoughts, my, my speech. It was now I had to work with a partner. And so I was given, assigned to a partner with one of the girls in my class. And the topic that we were given was the topic of homosexuality. And so my partner and I scheduled a time to meet and I thought, well, this will be easy. I already have all my bullet points from my previous speech. Uh, so we meet and uh, I've never talked to this girl one-on-one -on -one before in my life. We just sat in the same classroom. And so we meet and I begin to launch into my diatribe on the topic using all my proof texts from the Bible once again of why I thought this topic was wrong. And in my pride, I finished my rant and I said, oh, by the way, what do you think? And she said, well, I'm gay. 
I was 18 years old, and my whole world changed that day. Up until that day, I had never personally uh, known anyone, let alone sat down and had a conversation with anyone who had lived this lifestyle. And on that day, I was convicted that what Paul was referring to was not just their predicament. He was making the case concerning our predicament, which included my own lust and my own sexual impurity. So in chapter 2, Paul's going to show God's impartiality toward the moralist. Pete read a few of those verses. In chapter 3, remember the context of this movement, Paul's going to say that we are, you'll see it on the screen, we are, chapter 3 verse 9, we are under the power of sin. We are unrighteous and sinful. We are unquestionably accountable to God. We are unable to be justified by the works of the law. Paul says, furthermore, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. How many of us have allowed greed to creep into our hearts? They are full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Jesus would say on the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said to the people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody ever done that? They are gossips. Watch out, preacher. They are gossips. The Greek word literally means operating in a corner, secretly destroying another person's character who among us has never disparaged another human being behind their back. Who of us have done that? Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. The writer of Proverbs says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. They invent ways of doing evil. I learned a lot sitting in Jackson and Brooks. Bible class last week, and how the, the world wide web is taking this very seriously. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Mm. They have no understanding, no fidelity. No love, no mercy. I sat as an 18-year-old young man in front 
of that fellow human being with no love and no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Then Paul gets to chapter 2, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. When I look at the life of Jesus, He never divorced grace and truth, never. He never did. But encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter, he led with a posture of love. And so like the character read in the movie Shawshank Redemption, there are days that I wish I could go back and I could talk to the 18-year-old me, to sit down with that young man to remind him that the great irony of this passage in the context of the entire letter is that the people described here are precisely the kind of people whom God loves and for whom Christ died. We who call ourselves Christians can do no less than fixate on that truth and imitate that love. According to Romans, the purpose of God is to interrupt the interruption through the work of Christ and the Spirit. We'll talk about that in Romans chapter 8. One scholar notes that human beings were made to know, worship, love, and serve the Creator God. That always was and always will be the way to human flourishing. And this way demands a certain kind of humility, a willingness to let God be God, to celebrate and honor Him as such, and acknowledge His power in and over the world. Church, when I compare the wrath of mom with the love that mom showed me in her wrathful moments, I'm able to see, even in her imperfection as a human being, the image-bearing nature of a loving God. That even the wrath of God is good, for His wrath is truly loving. It's not that his character changes. It doesn't change from the Old Testament to the, the New Testament. Jesus would say, I don't, I don't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I come to fulfill it. It's not two different characters. God is, is, is not struggling with some sort of celestial schizophrenia. He holds both His love and His mercy and His wrath, He holds them perfectly as only He can. And even the wrath of God is good. And in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. 
From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Church, there's a day coming that God is going to make all things right. And as the great theologian and author C.S. Lewis once said, there are two kinds of people in this life. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Two takeaways this week, I want you to continue to read through the letter to the Romans. And I want to encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week. I'm going to ask you to stand and pray that prayer with me. I'm going to ask the praise team to join me on stage. Now come on up. As our Lord and Savior taught us to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the church said, Amen.